Come on, come on. How are we doing tonight? Yeah. I'm going to sing a little song for you guys with this mic, I guess. I'm just kidding. You don't want that. How many of you think you're good singers, but your neighbor doesn't think so? Come on. Man, hey, uh, welcome. Welcome to College of 12 Songs. So glad that you're here tonight. We've got an awesome crowd. Hey, if you're uh, sitting in the back or standing in the back, uh, please feel free to scoot in, grab a chair. I promise you they'll let you through. Just give them a good knee-to-knee, dead-leg them right in the hamstring, quadricep, whatever that is right there. Give them a nice dead leg. They'll let you through. Hey, uh, I love summertime here and super excited about it. And uh, it's been an amazing series that we've been in launching into the I'm out of breath because I ran to get my Bible because I forgot it. So just give me, let me just catch my breath for a second. Okay. Uh, Summer is awesome, and uh, this series we've been in is incredible, and, uh, but I'm really excited about next week. Next week is special. We're going to close out this series with the last week of the series, and then afterwards, we're going to go out into uh, the back parking lot back here. We're going to have the whole parking lot. We're going to have the grass area. We're going to grill hamburgers for you guys. You get free food, free drinks. Anybody love a good cheeseburger? Ain't nothing better than a good cheeseburger, right? Shout out to all the vegans in the room. And um, so we're going to have hamburgers. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to have our very own dodgeball tournament, which is going to be incredible. So uh, for all of you competitive people, it's going to be a good night doing that. And, hey, if, you're, if, you, if you hate dodgeball, if you're not into dodgeball at all whatsoever, just come. You can come hang out with us, eat all the cheeseburgers you want. Not really, probably one or two. But you can uh, have a bunch of cheeseburgers, just hang out. It's going to be a good time of fellowship. We'll skip Taco Mac and all that kind of stuff, and I'll just feed you here. Is that cool? But, hey, uh, we, announced, we announced the dodgeball thing uh, last week, and we told you some details about it. One of the details is we're going to have teams of eight. And so hopefully you've been scouting your team, maybe getting your team together. And here's what we found, though, that we are getting some super teams. I'm talking like Golden State Warriors time 10, right? So people are stacking their teams, and here's the deal. We're not creating like a girl's bracket and a guy's bracket because we're not sexist here. You know, that's not our thing. We're just combining co-ed teams. And so here's what we know. When you start stacking a super team, some people are going to get taken out like hardcore, and we don't want that. So we're going to even the teams out a little bit. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to (laughs) just, yeah, you know, I'm going to just put a rule out there, and here's the deal. For every team, every team has to have, I'm going to go with this number, has to have two girls on it, okay? Every team has to have two girls on it. You can have four girls, five girls, eight girls, whatever, but it has to have two girls. For you super teams that were getting, like, trip and just a whole bunch of other trips, uh, that's, that's not going to happen. you got to have uh, at least two girls. So restructure your teams. And uh, here's the deal. If you don't have a team, if you're like, dude, I know one person here. I don't know eight people. It's all right. Just come out. We're going to have a way that we'll just get you on a team. It'll help you just meet people. Um, so we'll throw you on a team. Um, if you just come out and let us know, uh, write your name down, that kind of thing. And you can sign up, like sign your team up before the service next week. Before the service next week, we'll have all that ready for you. So it's going to be a good time uh, playing hardcore dodgeball. <laughs> hey, we've been in this series called Table Talks for the past three weeks. This is the fourth week of it, and uh, man, it's been great. I hope that it's been helpful to you, and uh, I really believe, I really believe that this week and next week uh, could possibly be the most helpful, and it's going to wrap up 
these talks very well. And so I hope you'll I hope you come back next week. But we've talked about how your calling, we've been talking about calling, uh, purpose, destiny, that kind of stuff. What is God's calling, unique calling on your life? And uh, we talked about how your calling is first, it's tied to your history. And so your, your family, your background, all that kind of stuff, if you want to know what God's calling you to, uh, take a look at that thing. It's not, it's not the one thing, but it could give you a clue as to what God is calling you to. It's, called to your, uh, it's tied to your history. Your calling is tied to your personality. And then last week we talked about how your calling is tied to your intensity and your capacity. Or in other words, your calling is tied to your passion and your talents, right? If you suck at playing guitar... You know, maybe music just ain't your thing. You should move on to something else, right? I'm just kidding. Y'all didn't laugh. Um, I'm, not, I'm not that mean, I promise you. But your passion and your talents, your calling is tied to your passion and your talents, and those go together. And so I'm excited to talk about uh, the next clue that I believe that God gives us tonight. So let me just uh, let me pray for us. And we prayed quite a few times, uh, but I'd love the honor to pray for you guys as we get into this, okay? So God, would you, uh, would you open our hearts? Would you open our ears? And uh, Lord, would you speak right to us? And God, we ask that you would turn just a regular uh, talk into something supernatural. And we want more of you tonight, Jesus. That's what we ask for, more of you. So uh, we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to ask you a, a question that has the potential to be a little bit awkward. Uh, but I'm okay with that. You know, we're family. When you're, when you're with family... Uh, things, awkwardness is all right, you know, and we're okay with awkwardness, and quite frankly, I'm okay with awkwardness. So let me just, let me just go ahead and ask you a question, and, and we'll just go with it and embrace it as it comes, okay? How many, how many, uh, how many single people do we have in the room? Raise your hand. Come on. We at single people. Come on, fellas, look up here. Don't be looking around. Just look here. We don't need any, any creepers at C12. Any more creepers, I guess I should say. Ha, 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 ha. Single people, it's a great thing, right? It's a great thing. I know you're praying. You're praying for your wife. You're praying for your husband. You're looking for them tonight. That's a good thing. I don't really care why you come to church as long as you come, you know? So um, being single is great. Here's, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned about the dating scene, uh, or, or maybe, maybe you don't know this and I can help you. Uh, notice this. I think, I think dating and finding a person to date generally works best when it goes something like this. This isn't a rule, but this is just my opinion. When it goes something like this, when you find that someone that you're interested in and you hang out first in a big group, you know, when you get groups together, because then you watch that person, how they interact with other people, you know, that person's kind of a jerk to other people, uh, you, get, you get to see how they interact with others, so big groups is nice, and then uh, usually the next step is, hey, so-and-so, I'd like to take you on a date, make sure, fellas, make sure you clarify what it is, this is a date, I'd like to take you on a date, <laughs> y'all crazy, girls in here are crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, you say, hey, I'd like to take you on a date. Let's go get some coffee. That's a good, that's a good next step, right? Like, like, come on, go with me. That's a good, we go from group dates to, hey, I don't know you that well. I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee. Will you let me take you out on a date? So that's a good thing. And then, and then kind of the, the, the next step, in my opinion, the next step is, I would like to take you to dinner. Now, 
Here's, here's, here's what I know. Things, things get a little elevated when you ask to go to dinner. And, and now it's not just like you pay for your coffee, I pay for my coffee. Like now it's the waiter or waitress is going to come and ask, is this on one check or two? And now the dude's got to step up and, or, or the girl, whatever. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, the dude's got to step up and say this on one check. And so dinner, dinner really takes this thing to a whole new level. You know, I got a, a snazzy little dinner table up here for us. And, and uh, nice plates, nice silverware, a nice uh, cup here. But I just think, I think dinner takes dating to a whole new level. And it, and it, it kind of signifies, I really take this serious now. Because the dinner table, at the dinner table, the dinner table is a place of relationship and intimacy. The dinner table is a place of relationship and intimacy. And there's something about sharing food and a drink across from the table with someone that just elevates things. An invitation to the dinner table is an invitation to friendship. It's an invitation to relationship. Think about this. In, in business, in business, for those of you that are working now, if you want to have a meeting with someone and it's a professional thing, it's a, we need to have a serious talk. You invite them into your office. You go to an office. And this is going to be uh, a business-type conversation, you know. If you're wanting to get to know someone, if you're wanting to kind of uh, extend a hand and say, hey, welcome to the company, so glad you're here, those kinds of conversations, you usually take them to lunch or dinner. You take them somewhere where you can share food together. Think about this, a wedding. A wedding, you had the ceremony, all the formal things of the ceremony, and then at the end, how do you celebrate? Usually you celebrate by having dinner together. Everyone has dinner, the whole party, everybody has dinner together. It's a celebration. Think about this. In the old days, in the old days, uh, a king would invite people to the dinner table that he was inviting into a relationship. There were even times where uh, people of nobility or his, his knights or whoever did not get invited to the dinner table because they didn't have that relationship. And at the dinner table, a relationship was going to be formed. In my parents' day, did you know this? And maybe you should ask your parents. In my parents' day, it was not even considered a date unless dinner was shared. Not even a date. So if you went bowling, not a date. You better have some dinner at the bowling alley, you know? You got to go to dinner too. Crazy, right? In, in, my, house, in my house growing up, uh, we, all, we had dinner together. I was fortunate, and my, my mom was a great cook. Anybody got a good cook as a mom? My mom, she was a phenomenal cook. And so we would all have our days, you know, me and my three sisters, three sisters. We would all have our days at school, everything like that. And my, my dad had his day, and my mom had her day. And we would all come together at the end of the day, and we would have dinner together. And at the dinner table, we'd share our highs and our lows about our day. We would, we would talk about what was going on in life. It was a place of relationship. It was a place of intimacy. An invitation to sit and eat at a table is an invitation to know someone personally. 
It's an invitation to be relationally involved. Think about this. The night before Jesus was crucified, he gathered 12 of his followers, 12 of his disciples. And they shared in something that we know of as the Last Supper. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't the last movie. (laughs) They didn't have movies back then, but I don't know. It wasn't the last hoorah. It wasn't the last hangout. It wasn't the last bro session. It was the last supper. And at the dinner table, him and his closest friends bonded on an even deeper level. And tonight, I believe that God is inviting us to sit at his table. God is inviting us into a place of intimacy and relationship. It's a generous offer. It's a generous offer to have intimacy and relationship with the God of all creation. And he's inviting you to it, and he's inviting me to it. And your intimacy with Jesus, listen, not only impacts your present, but it changes your future. Your intimacy and your willingness to sit at the table of God not only impacts your present, but it changes your future. It changes your purpose. It changes your calling. It changes your destiny at the table of God. That's where that happens. And so I want to talk tonight about how your calling is tied to your spirituality. Perhaps the most important of them all, your calling is tied to your spirituality. Not only your history, your background, not only your personality, not only your passion and your talents, but your calling is tied to your spirituality. The outcome, listen, the outcome of your life will be determined by your relationship to the table of God. The outcome of your life will be determined by your relationship to the table of God. It'll change your life. It changed Moses. We've been studying the life of Moses, and uh, I, I hope that maybe it sparks your interest in this guy to go back and read more of it. Uh, we've been looking into it, and we've, we've covered really two-thirds of his life. We've covered about 80 years of the first 80 years of Moses' life. He was uh, born an Israeli slave in Egypt, destined to be killed because of Pharaoh's orders to kill the sons. And his mom sent him down a river, and he was picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, And she raised up Moses as her son. Then he was educated. Listen, he was educated in the finest Egyptian schools. That was his history. He was educated as an Egyptian, grown up as an Egyptian. That was part of his history. And at age 40, he tries to deliver an Israelite man from being in a fight or attacked by an Egyptian. So he sees an Egyptian beating an Israeli man, and he delivers this guy. He kills the Egyptian. That was part of his personality and his intensity that he carried. He went and killed that Egyptian. And because of that, it becomes public knowledge that Moses is a murderer, and so he flees. And when he flees, last week we read about how, uh, like, years later, he's in the desert, and there's these shepherd girls, and they get attacked and bullied, and he delivers them from the people that come up to them. And so all the while, God is uniquely, uniquely developing and creating and crafting 
Moses and his calling and what he would eventually become as the deliverer of Israel. And he spends the next 40 years of his life roaming around in a desert. Let me just pause right here and, and let me say this as well. Some of you are not sure about your calling in life or where you're heading, what your future is, your destiny, all that kind of stuff. You're not sure if God has a plan. And let me just tell you that sometimes God has a great plan for your future and your calling and your destiny, but you got to wander around in the desert for a little while. Moses had to. So don't be discouraged if you feel like now you're just wandering and there's no direction, there's no clarity, it's just foggy. It's okay. It's okay. It doesn't mean that there's no future for you. So this is Moses' life. And then tonight we continue by looking at Moses. And I want to focus directly on the story of Moses when he encounters the burning bush. And he's 80 years old. First 40 years, uh, he was a prominent person in Egypt. And the next 40 years, he's wandering in the desert. Isn't that how life just goes? Sometimes you feel like it's just up and down, up and down. So he's 80 years old. And then this happens. We're going to read a large portion of Scripture tonight. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3. And that's page 57. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, just a few pages. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under your seat. If you don't have one at home, by the way, we'd love for you to take this one home, make it your own. And uh, it's okay to, to steal from the church, I guess. It's not stealing. If you can get away with anything in heaven, it's stealing from the church, taking a Bible if you'll go read it or give it to somebody. Okay, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Here we go. You ready? Verse 1 says this. says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire. From within a bush, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. This is a defining moment for Moses. This literally changes the trajectory of Moses's life. Moses found himself at the table of God. At the very presence of God, Moses found himself experiencing the God orchestrated events and things to happen so that he could show up to Moses and that Moses could experience the very presence of God. If you're taking notes, we'd love for you to write this down. In the presence of God, you become aware of yourself. In the presence of God, you become aware of yourself. Verse 6 says this. It says, then he said, this is, what, this is God speaking. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. When Moses understood the moment that he was having, when he understood who God was, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of creation now shown up 
in, the, in this burning bush, when Moses understood what was happening, he understood who God was and who he is. Moses understood that who he was, who Moses was, and who God was, and the giant gap in between. Because it says this. It says, at this moment, Moses hid his face because he was afraid. Moses understood the largeness, the grandness, the hugeness. I'm just making up words. The hugeness of God and who he was. And he knew the gap in between. And that he couldn't even look at God. I want to show you a video tonight. I, um, someone in here, a friend of mine, actually recommended this app to me. Uh, as is a way that he was studying the Bible, and this app is called Read Scripture, and they've got uh, lots of different, it basically walks through the entire Bible, and they have videos to walk you through these, uh, sometimes they're Bible uh, complexities and things that, that I have a hard time understanding, and the people that make this, they're pastors, they make these, these uh, videos, you can find them on YouTube called The Bible Project, I'd encourage you to go look at it, uh, anyways, they make these and walk through the entire Bible, really easy to understand, and I came across this one the other day, and it talks about holiness, and to me, it gives an amazing picture of who God is and who I am, and the gap between and how we relate to each other. And so I want to show it to you because I think it describes it much better than I can. So let's take a few minutes and watch this, and then we'll come back. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. 
So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. (laughs) Totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus's purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now. But Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. This time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there, flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. Pretty cool, right? See, it's at the very table of God that we realize the importance of Jesus, the importance of his holiness, 
because we are not, because we are impure, that we needed Jesus in order to experience the presence of God. It's at the table of God that we understand the gospel at a whole new level. That without Jesus being holy in our place, we wouldn't even be able or even invited to sit at the table. Without Jesus, we wouldn't be invited to even come anywhere close to the presence of God. But it's because of that. It's because of him that now you can experience and you can have the very presence of God. And you can sit at the table of God and have an intimate relationship with him. And then that's why, that's why having the presence of God in us through the Holy Spirit is so powerful. Like I said, because I can walk and wherever I walk into, I take the presence of God with me. I, I take the presence of God with me. And then we set aside moments in life to kind of uh, like, like to set aside a moment Maybe it's, it's in the morning for you where before you go to work or before you go anywhere that you set aside a moment to have something with God to say, God, I want to I experience your presence. And you set aside a moment not to, you can read scriptures, you can pray, but more than just a ritualistic having these things, more than that, I want to know the presence of God. And we set aside these moments to experience that. We set aside a moment like tonight where we come into worship and we ask for and we beg for the presence of God to invade the room and to invade our lives and to show up and to do things miraculously that only he can do. We set aside these kinds of moments because we want to sit at the table of God and we want to experience the relationship. We want to experience the intimacy. Sometimes I wonder why we come to C12. And I don't know why you come, and, and I said it kiddingly, uh, but it, I'm kind of serious. I don't really care why you come. I just hope that when you come, you experience something of the presence of God, that you experience something like sitting at the table of God and knowing more of him. And you may not even be able to explain it or even know what is happening. I just know that when I show up to that little room, that dungeon room, uh, when I show up there, something is there. And something is happening. And I believe it's because we pull up a seat to the table of God. And that's what we're asking for more than anything else. Let's keep reading in the story. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what happens next. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That sounds awesome. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites. This is what he says. We write this down. In the presence of God, you become confident who's with you. Let's finish reading. Verse 9, it says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And then this is Moses' response. He said, says, But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. 
in the presence of God, you become confident who is with you. You become confident who is with you. I love that the first thing God says to Moses is he declares who he is. This is who I am. I'm the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's me. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. This is me. And then the first thing Moses says is, yeah, but who am I to deliver the people? And then God responds with, yeah, 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 you're a nobody, but remember who I am. Remember who I am. I will go with you. And many people say, when we get back to the, the idea of calling and what's my purpose and what does God want me to do with my life, many people say, if God would just make it really clear, if he would just tell me this is what he wants me to do, then I would go do it. I get it, but think about this. Moses had probably the most clear unveiling of what God wanted him to do. Right? Shows up in a burning bush, says, out loud, Moses, Moses, and he says, here am I, and then God begins to talk to Moses, clearly. And yet, what does Moses do? He responds with asking a gajillion questions and starts questioning, what am I supposed to do? Check this out. Moses kept asking questions. Verse 11, he says, who am I, God? Verse 13, he says, what if they ask who sent me? And then in the next chapter, verse 1, he says, what if they don't believe me? And then verse 10, they say, he says, what about my skill level? And then in verse 13, he says, God, just send someone else. <laughs> he just ends with, God, uh, whatever, send someone else. But check this out. God was trying to get Moses confident in the who sent him, not the clarity of what he was going to do. God responds with, I will be with you. God wanted Moses to Get and understand who is sending you. Not the details of what you're going to do. He wanted him to know, I am going with you. Because the power lies in who is with you, not in what you do. God was trying to get Moses to understand the power is not in what he was going to do, but in who he was going to do it with. So, check this out. The same is true with us. God has been organizing, orchestrating, building, crafting you with your history, your background, your personalities, your passion, your talents, all for a unique purpose to do with your life. And you have a responsibility to look into those things. How has God wired me? How, how am I built? What are my passions? What, where is he leading me into, right? You have a responsibility to look into those things. But at the end of the day, if you get nothing from the last few weeks that we've talked about, please just hear this. At the end of the day, God is less concerned with what you do as he is with who you do it with, him. God is less concerned with what you do with your life as he is with who you do it with, which is him. If you will just take whatever you go and do, if you will just do it with him, God wanted Moses to know, I'll be with you. The power is not in what you're doing, Moses. The power is that I'm going with you. And whatever you do with your life, whether you decide to be a doctor, whether you decide to be a maintenance man, whether you decide to be a preacher, whether you decide to be a musician, whether you decide to be a banker or work in a business, whatever you decide to do, I believe that God is more concerned that you just take him with you. 
And many of us get trapped, and we talked about this from the very beginning. Many of us get trapped at this kind of uh, fork in the road where we go, okay, what should I do? I've got, I, I could go to school to get a degree in this. I could do this. I'm not sure what, what really I want to do with my life. And we get this fork in the road. I don't know. And, and much of it is surrounded by what does God want me to do? The question, what does God want me to do? And I get it. It's a, it's a great question, Right? But I want to just kind of free you up a little bit tonight to walk out of here and go, the most important thing is that whatever you choose to do, that you just take him with you. Because you going and being whatever it is with God's power and his presence is far greater than you going and doing something else without it. God is most concerned with you just bringing him with you in whatever area you're going to to work in, whatever calling it is. So let me just give you kind of uh, two things tonight. Just to, I want to help uh, free you up a little bit. I talked in the very beginning of this series that part of my goal was to just help you relax when it comes to this conversation. If you have a, a lot of anxiety about, I don't know what to do with my life, I don't know what God's calling me to, let me just give you two things that I think uh, will help you relax a little bit, okay? The first is this. If you come to that point in your life where you're like, I don't know, uh, what I'm going to do. I don't know which direction to go to. Let me give you some instructions, okay? Here's what you do. Pray, <laughs> seek wise counsel, and then pick one. <laughs> you can add prayer in there again if you want. Pray, seek wise counsel, and then just pick one. You want to first ask God, God, where, where, you, where do you want me to go? Spend time praying. Spend time asking for his voice in your decision. Ask some people that you trust. If you've got a couple decisions, I don't know if I should go do this, that, whatever, ask some people that you trust. What do you, what do you think? Ask some people to pray with you. And then at the end of the day, pick one and go for it. And here's, here's what I would say. This has been my personal prayer in situations like this. I'll say, God, with the information that I have and whatever you and you've delivered to me this and whatever I now have, wisdom, this is what I'm going to do. I'm making this decision. This is the direction I'm going. This is where I feel like you're leading me, so that's what I'm going to do. If that's not the right thing, you need to change it. And I put the pressure on God. He's far greater than me. He's far larger that he can do much more with my life than I can do with myself. God, this with the information you've given me, and with the wisdom that I have and where I believe you're taking me, this is my decision. And if that's not the right one and you really care what I do, then I need you to push me somewhere else. Otherwise, this is what I'm going to go after. And then pick one and go. Otherwise, you will burden yourself with so much weight that personally, sometimes I think God says, I don't care what you do. Just go do something and let me go with you. Just go do something and let me go with you. But we spend so much time anxious about what God is calling us to. And it's like we feel like there's this path that God's leading us down. And we get at the fork in the road. And it's like, well, what if this decision takes me way out there? And then I got God way over here and he's mad because I went way up here. No. God will go with you if you will just pick and you will just go. Just go. Don't be so burdened. 
by the decision. Is this helping anybody tonight? I know it's uh, a lot harder than just saying this, but I believe it's true. The second thing is this. The second thing I would, I would help you help free you up a little bit. You need to know this. Your calling is not always tied to a paycheck. <laughs> your calling is not always tied to a paycheck. And this is a large conversation with lots of things in it, but let me just kind of talk about it for a few seconds and hopefully bring some clarity to you. It's possible, it's possible that how you make money and what God's calling you to don't go together. If, if, if God has called you to something, you believe this is the calling on your life, I'm going to be this, and you can make your paycheck as well doing that, that's, a, that's great. That's awesome. I believe that's what I'm doing. I believe God's called me to be a pastor, and that's how I get paid. Awesome. But that's not the case for everyone, and that shouldn't be your expectation. So it's possible that you sit here and go, how am I going to make money to pay the bills? Great. That's what I'm going to go do. And meanwhile, while you're doing that, you pray for God to deliver his unique calling on your life. And when he does, it may not be connected to how you make a paycheck, and that's fine. Let me give you some examples, okay? You, you, could, you could be a business person in the business field, and God gives you the unique calling to start raising up or teaching the next generation of young people. And so what you do from Monday to Friday, I don't know, you're making a paycheck doing something, but God gives you this calling, and you know what you do? You go to your church and you say, how can I help? How can I be involved? Maybe I start leading a small group. Maybe I show up on Wednesday nights and lead middle schoolers. Good luck to you if you do that. But uh, that's some of your gifting. That's your calling. So if God gives you that calling, does that mean that you go full-time ministry? No. You don't have to. You see what I'm saying? So you could, you could be in the business world and how you make a paycheck is doing whatever X and then God calls you to a specific unique calling to help eliminate poverty in downtown Atlanta and so you get involved in different areas and now you sit on the board of, of whatever and to make decisions to help eliminate poverty and homelessness in Atlanta and you never make a single paycheck for doing this. And you have accomplished your calling or you are living in what God's called you to. Some of you, I, I fully believe that God gives a unique calling to some women to be a mom. And it is not tied at all to a pay. If you get paid being a mom, please tell me how that happens. But uh, it's not tied at all to a paycheck. God has uniquely created you and designed you to raise children. So you've got to get rid of the idea that calling is always tied to a paycheck. It's not. It's not. What God wants you to accomplish isn't always linked to how you make money. And that's okay. And I would say it's specifically okay for your age group, for where you're at in life. You may have to make money to pay the bills in a different way than what you're passionate about and what you feel called to. And that is okay. Main point is this, you will never be able to fully walk in his calling if you resist sitting at his table. Because let me tell you, all this is so complex and this is so difficult. And there's so many, sometimes this is the case. 
And apart from sitting at the table of God and being intimate and in a relationship with him and hearing his voice and hearing his leading, apart from that, you are stuck with the only thing that you have is going off of what am I passionate in, what am I talented in, let's hope it goes well. And apart from sitting at the table of God and being in oneness with him, and sensing his leading and his direction, you're stuck with just your brain and how you figure it out. And that's a bad place to be. Moses, think about this. Moses never really left the table of God again. Once he met with God at the burning bush, the things that God did through his life for years was phenomenal. How God used him. He stayed intimate communion. And we don't really know much about Moses' relationship to God before the moment at the burning bush. But at this moment, it changed the trajectory of his life. And God desires for you to sit at his table in intimate relationship with him. So tonight, the invitation is that you sit at the table. God is inviting you to sit at his table and Lauren, you can go ahead and come back up. Some of you, some of you have sat at the table before, but you've drifted. And you're no longer really sitting at the table of God. Maybe life just got busy. Listen, this is not about church. This is not about knowing the scripture. This is not about knowing all the facts about God. This is not about perfect church attendance, coming to C12 every Thursday night. This is about you've left the table of God. You've left the intimate relationship with him that he is inviting you to. And I've, I've, watched, I've watched young people come to C12 and experience great life change because they got in the presence of God, which I am so thankful for. And then they leave, and their faith just kind of diminishes. And it's because they never figured out how to get to the table of God outside of church. And that's why this is so important for you to know that the presence of God and the table of God is available for you outside of C12, outside of church. In fact, your whole life, your whole calling is dependent on that, is dependent on whether you sit at the table of God and whether you experience his presence and his intimacy and his relationship. Because it's not going to work just at C12. You need it in your own life. You need it at home. You need it at work. You need the presence of God with you. But some of you are just relying on it to be here at C12. And it's great, and I'm glad you get it, and I hope you get it, and I hope you experience it, and I hope God does great things through you while you're here. But you're going to need it out there, I promise you. And so the invitation is that if you have left that, if you have left the table, then pull up a seat. Come back. The invitation is there. Come back. Becoming a follower of Jesus is, above all else, is an invitation to sit at the table. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It says this. It says, here am I. This is God speaking. Here am I. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. God stands at the door and he knocks. Your door. He knocks. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and what? I will eat. 
I will sit at the dinner table. I will be in communion with you. I will offer my presence with you. If you will open the door when he knocks, he'll come in and eat. Tonight is an invitation for you to take up the pursuit again. For some of you that have stopped pursuing, for some of you that have left the table, tonight is an invitation for you to come back. Some of you have gone to church for a long time and you've never sat at the table of God. Some of you have just started coming to church or coming back to church and you've sat at different tables. You've sat at the world's table. You've experienced what the world has to offer. You've experienced all of it. And tonight, the invitation is for you to come to God's table, to the only table that will satisfy your hunger and your thirst. I just want to encourage you that God hears your desperation, and he desires to sit at the table and have intimacy and relationship with you. More than just church attendance, more than just here at C12, he wants it in your life every day. He wants wants you to pull up a chair. And so I want to just give you space tonight to respond in this way to sit at the table, to create your own table, and to sit in communion with God and to enjoy his presence and to ask for him to speak to you and for for you to ask for his presence to be so alive in your life. And I promise you this, he hasn't gotten up. He's still sitting. He's waiting for you to sit. He's waiting for you. So let me pray for you tonight. And I want to just kind of open the room for the next few moments. We do this every now and then, but I just feel like tonight is, is a time for you to respond, for you to do whatever God is asking you to do, however the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And so I'm going to pray for you, but I'm just going to open the room, and, and I want you to go somewhere if you need to or sit in your chair, whatever you need to do. If you want to get on your knees and just kneel at your chair, if you want to come sit somewhere at the altar, but wherever you got to go to build your own table and to sit at the table of God and to ask for his presence to be near to your life. Like I said, some of you are going through the motions of church. You're going through the motions of Christianity, and you've left the very presence of God, the one thing that he wants to be so real and present in your life. And you need to come back and sit at it, to sit at the table. So after I pray, I'm just going to invite you. The band's going to just kind of play behind and give us a moment to respond. I'm going to invite you just to do what you need to do kind of figuratively set the table again. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that your presence would be so real in the lives of these young people. God, for those that have wandered, for those that are relying on their own good deeds, for those that are relying on 
just going to church every time they can. God, I ask that your presence would be so real and tangible in their life that it would be sweet. Oh, God, that it would be the sweetest thing they've ever tasted. And God, just like you said to Moses that your name was I Am, God, I ask that you would be whatever they need in life. God, that your very presence would be what they need you would be their comforter, God, that you would be their protector, that you would be their provider, that you would be their healer, that you would be their peace, God, that I pray that you would be their joy, God, you are that, that's who you are, you are the I am, the great I am, so Lord, we need your presence, and we ask for your presence. And God, we pull up a table. We pull up a seat. And we just want to sit with you. We want to experience you. We want to know you. So won't you do that for us? In Jesus' name.